0: All right, Ben Underwood was just a two-year-old boy when the doctors discovered that he had retinal cancer. And they did what, he, they, did what they could uh, to treat it, but by the time he was three years old, they realized that, uh, that they needed to do surgery, and they had to remove uh, both of his eyes uh, to, to prevent the cancer from spreading any further. So here he was as a, as a three-year-old boy, not able to see, uh, dealing with uh, the aftermath of this operation. And so as he grew up, uh, he learned how to to cope with his handicap. Now, typically we hear of blind people either using a cane or a uh, seeing eye dog to help them get around. Uh, But Ben did something a little differently. As a five-year-old, he taught himself uh, what we call echolocation. So he would make little clicks with his tongue. And by paying close attention to those clicks. He could hear what was around him. Uh, now scientists have studied uh, this. Um, some people have the ability to do it better than others. But scientists have studied that actually when, when one of our senses is, is gone. The brain can use that, that space typically reserved for that sense. To, to assist in other areas. So here, little Ben, at five year old, at five year, years old, uh, taught himself how to how to see around him by making these sounds. And eventually, as he got older and older, uh, he he got he got very good at it. Uh, to the point that he was able to play basketball, that he was able to run, ride a skateboard, rollerblade, uh, and and do a lot of the things that young boys love to do. Now, I mean, I can't ride a skateboard and and I can see, uh, so you know, being able to do that—it's just—it's amazing. You think about that, and you wonder, you know, wow, the body is is incredible—that it can compensate for for missing something so important as as eyesight, and it can can compensate for that. We we recognize that God is an awesome Creator who did this for the body. But going into the the spiritual. Um, correlation to that from first corinthians 12 we have the the analogy of a body and in some senses the body of christ is able to do the same thing if one area is weaker other other parts of the body can help out can can compensate for that but yet there are still cases uh, when there is such a critical part missing that there's no way to compensate for it Eyesight can be compensated for in some degree, but if someone were to have heart failure or their brain were to shut down, say that is a critical organ and there's nothing that can compensate for that. And so here in 1 John, taking that analogy and applying it here, we read of a critical function of a believer. And that is our love one another let's read first um, john 4 7 through 12 beloved let us love one another for love is of god and everyone who loves is born of god and knows god he who does not love does not know god for god is love in this the love of god was manifested toward us that god has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. So here in this passage, this is the third time uh, in the book so far that John mentions loving one another Uh, first he mentions it back in chapter 2 verses uh, 9 and 9 and 10 he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him in chapter 3 verse 11 he mentions it again for this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another Not like Cain, who who did not love his brother. So chapter 4, we get the third round of John's attention to our love for one another. Now here in this passage, John begins it by saying, Beloved, let us love one another. And like in English, in Greek, there's no way to give a command in the first person. There's no way to tell yourself to do something. Uh, So... In order to do that, uh, John uses the closest equivalent uh, in saying, let us, let us. It's an exhortation. We should be doing this. Let us love one another. So clearly, that's kind of his point. He goes on from there, but uh, that's not, uh, he doesn't mince any words. So he starts out by saying, let us love one another. And in this case... Uh, John is calling for us specifically to love who? Everyone? Each other. Okay, he's talking here to a group of professing believers. Uh, this was, was uh, written to believers. Uh, he writes several times uh, of his purpose. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But he's writing to professing believers and saying, we ought to love each other as believers that's a, It's a vital part of our life with God, as we'll see. So, what's entailed with this? What does this mean? Okay, we, we get the point, let us love one another. But that's kind of vague. So, let's take a look at the following verses. Let's look at at what, what this really means. What does he mean when he says, let us love one another? Um, and as we go through these points, uh, if you're... Um, Very attentive to grammatical detail. You'll notice that they're not exactly parallel. They kind of follow sequentially with one another. Um, And each point takes a little different perspective. But that's kind of how uh, John approaches these verses. So how should we love one another? First of all, with a love produced by a relationship with God. With a love produced by a relationship with God. Uh, Verses um, the end of verse seven and verse eight. Uh, Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So John here uh, opens up this passage with uh, some pretty, in pretty strong terms. Now none of the none of the words he uses are really confusing. They're not. Uh, you know 50 cent words that you need a college education to understand but the concepts here are you know it's pretty it's pretty strong he's saying you know everyone who loves is born of god and knows god and everyone who doesn't love is not born of god okay so let's take a step back remember why john is writing this letter Uh, he tells us uh clearly uh in chapter 5 verse 13 he says these things have i written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, writing to believers, for the purpose that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So he wrote this to reassure believers of their standing with God, to encourage them to continue to believe in God. And throughout this book, we see that he, he gives several... Uh, several points of of self-criticism ways to look at yourself and say am i is my walk with god what i say it is is how i act in accordance with what i profess he's saying if you profess to believe god if you profess to know god this will be part of your life and so here in chapter 4 he's taking this and he's saying One of the ways that you know how you stand with God is your love for one another. Like I said, you know, he kind of boils this down to a pretty unequivocal statement. He says, your love for one another is a key indicator of your relationship with God. There's no one who loves each other in this way who does not also know God. If you love each other the way that he's talking about, you know God. And if you know God, there's no way you can't love each other the way he's talking about here. So, from that conclusion, let's think about that. Let's break it down a little bit. Um, here are some, some conclusions we can draw from that. First of all, uh, we cannot develop a relationship with God by disciplining ourselves to love more or to love better again we 'll talk about what that love looks like uh, under the next point, but we cannot dissip- or we cannot develop a relationship with God in our own strength. Your first point there i had a had a friend um, who during during his college years was he worked for a painter a little bit, and then he and his buddy uh, to start, started to doing some decided to start doing some painting on the side. And they they made some good money in college. And then when he was in seminary, he decided to start his own full-fledged painting business by himself. And now, you know, some, some parts of painting are pretty straightforward. I mean, you dip the, the roller in the paint, and you cover the surface until it's a different color, and you're done. But I was asking him about the the more difficult scenarios, things that you... Yeah, things that you don't think about until you're in this situation. Like, how do you paint a a roof that's peaked and is 40 feet high? And, you know, you have to deal with splashes and drips and also getting up there. And, you know, different different, uh, stains that you need to match and and work with. And so I was talking to him about this and asked him, like, so what do you do when you come to these situations that uh, you've never faced before? And uh, he gave me a a profound bit of wisdom uh, as a businessman. He said, well, you kind of fake it till you make it. Uh, So you just kind of pretend like you know what you're doing until you learn what you should be doing. And now when you're painting, that might work. When you're doing some other things, that might work. But that doesn't work here. In the Christian life, we can't say, well, we should be loving one another because that's a sign of our relationship with God so i'm going to pretend to love other christians so that one day it can be natural to me now certainly it is something that we can work at but it's not something that we can just conjure up the strength and say i'm going to do this because it doesn't come from us okay let us love one another for love is of god often when we're confronted with a, a point of deficiency in our lives, when somebody points out something that we're, we're doing wrong or we're not doing up to par, we say, well, I'm just going to fix that. And we, we grit our teeth and we, we say, you know, more discipline. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try harder. Uh, I'm going to set my alarm clock 20 minutes earlier. And that discipline is good, but that discipline cannot be all that we have in this respect. Um, in order to to increase our love for one another, uh, it needs to come from God. Secondly there, if we have no love for other believers, we have a right to question our relationship with and our understanding of God. The presence of love in our life uh, shows a dramatic either-or scenario. Okay, Either we know God or we don't. That's what John says here. Saying, in in evaluating your relationship with God, look at this indicator. Do you love God's people? He says, if you don't, do you really know God? Yeah, he says, you should question your standing with God if this key element is not part of your life. Now, he talks about that. Everyone who is born of god this is something that has happened in the past uh it's a a perfect verb it happened in the past it has continuing effects you were born of god in the past and that birth has continued to affect your life Uh, and then he uses a verb and knows god this is present someone who currently now understands and knows god and is growing in that knowledge now John here is not just presenting um, a logical equivalent for for rhetoric's sake he's not he 's not just saying you know presenting two equivalent things just to make a point he 's not saying well you know every every son that I have is a boy, um, yeah and of course every every boy is is a son he 's not talking about those those type of equivalents uh, he is saying the relationship you have with god will necessarily work itself out by showing a love for one another Uh, the concepts of knowing god and loving others are distinct yet they're they're tied so closely together that they're inseparable and then uh letter c there god alone is the source of love he makes the statement in verse eight uh At the end, for God is love. Our love for each other should be based on where that love comes from. That love comes from the nature of God, from the attribute of God. And that our closeness with God dictates our ability to love. Okay, now John had made one statement. He says, everyone who loves is born of God. And then he flips it around and he makes the converse. He says, Everyone who does not love is not born of God. But he doesn't flip this statement around. He doesn't say God is love, and what our society says is love is God. Okay, that's that's different. Uh, as you know, as our society would would want to one of you love um we'll look we'll see under the second point that this is a completely different uh, definition of love than our society has uh, but john also states elsewhere uh, in his writing that god is spirit uh, john four twenty four, 24 and states that god is light so here uh, he's not stating that god is equal to love love is equal to god uh, he's just stating that that love is such a core attribute of god that it's it's it can't be defined apart from him okay Uh, he can't be understood apart from love and it can't be understood apart from him now this doesn't in any way detract from god's other attributes his holiness his justice his um you know his his omniscience omnipotence all those other attributes work together uh, as part of who he is with love um when when john here says god is love i think what he's saying is that god is the most complete definition of what love is he is love par excellence he is the the best definition of love that we have but we remember that he is a person he's not just a characteristic there's not a characteristic of love that is governing the universe, universe like the force we have a personal God. He's in control of all of that. So we, we need to love each other, love one another with the love produced by a relationship with God. Secondly, with a love that looks like God's love. So this is where we talk about what is love. It's a term that gets thrown around. It's a term that at times probably makes us cringe, you know, depending on the context we hear it in. Uh, the con the the concept of love has been so muddied by our society that, you know, that in some ways it's lost a lot of its meaning. Uh, you can you can hear it used in these ways. If you if you really love your child, you won't correct them. I mean, that's harsh, right? Where they're equating love with approval. Here, what about I I love the Eagles. I nobody would say that, but. If you did, okay, that would be showing an affinity. Okay, you don't really. Lo- that's not the love that we're talking about here. Uh, now, this you know, this past Sunday, uh, Pastor Art uh, touched on the topic of homosexuality, and a lot of people would bring up the argument, but they really love each other. So why can't we let them get married? Well that's we're basically we're, we're defining love as as feelings as emotion is that what he's talking about here no i thought christians were supposed to be loving but you're so judgmental that aspect of love that they're pulling out uh, acceptance well can't we all just hold hands and sing kumbaya and and make the world a better place accepting everything is that loving well love can accept some things but that's has to be taken in you know in conjunction with everything else that we know of love love sometimes can be harsh some sometimes it must be harsh maybe on a on a a more uh flippant scale you you might watch a, a movie and just say i love the way that that ended Hey, we have an appreciation or an admiration of of some skill or some ability that that went into into some complex uh, you know set of events or or um, something that that somebody has done we say "I love that that's appreciation we we do appreciate that so you know we have all these different facets of love but interestingly enough here john doesn't give us really a definition of love gives us an example first or john 15 12 says this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you and he develops that thought here in first john Uh, god's treatment of us we can learn a lot about love Based on God's treatment of us, we can learn a lot about love that we should show toward other people. So verses 9 through 11. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So a, a love that looks like God's love, that's how we should we love. That's how we should love one another. What does that look like? Well, let's look at, at his example. Let's look at what God has done for us, what He tells us that He thinks about us, and how that should affect us and we, our interactions with each other. First of all, love. The loving actions should be initiated by us. In verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So the first actor in this relationship is not us, but God. God loved us. We love one another. So we need to take the responsibility to initiate Okay, God initiated this loving action toward us. That's how we should treat others. It should not be dependent on the character of the recipient. Thankfully for us, God did not love us because we were lovely. How many of us could claim to be that? How many of you, if you ask your spouse, they would say, there are times that you are not lovely. okay. How much more a holy God looking at us. He certainly would not say that we were lovely. In fact, let's go to Romans chapter 5. Uh, some verses that I love. Uh, Romans 5. Let's read verses 6 through 10. and descri- See how this describes uh, the way that God saw us before we were renewed in him. Romans five verse six For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How much more having been reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. So the one description. That Paul here in Romans gives to us before Christ. We were enemies. We were opposed to God. We were opposed to everything that he stood for. We saw his holiness and we turned our back on it, saying, we will, be, um, we will be good enough ourselves. We don't need you. And when you think of the extent of that offense, it was not just a... You know, sometimes we view ourselves as pretty good, but you know we couldn't quite make it the whole way into heaven. That's not how scripture presents us. That's not how, how God viewed us. We were his enemies. We were avowedly opposed to him before he stepped in and saved us. Thirdly here, it was for the benefit of the recipient. You look at why uh, here back in 1 John. You look at why God did this for us. Why Christ did this for us. Verse 9, that we might live through him. His sacrifice, his love, was for our benefit. So as we consider how this love works out for others, it should be for their benefit. We should want the best for them. We should want them to have a fuller life. We should want them to have a closer relationship with God. We should want the best for them. Uh, so it is done for the benefit of the recipient. Another uh, truth that we can pull out from verse 9 is that this type of love will be costly. What did God send? He did not send some angel. He sent his only begotten son. The only son that he had, he sent him to earth. He sent him to die. Jesus Christ came as a servant. He became obedient unto death, even The death on the cross. That's what his love toward us looked like. And it was costly. Christ gave up his position in heaven. Christ gave up that. uh, Close fellowship with his father. And for a time. They were severed. By our sin. In verse 10 we see also that. That this type of love involves self-sacrifice. When we read that Christ. Uh, came to be the propitiation for our sins. He, he was not forced into this, this position on the cross. He took that on himself. He took God's wrath. He was our propitiation. I and mean, Christ willingly did that for us. As a sign of self-sacrifice. As a demonstration of self-sacrifice. And then uh, letter F is always demonstrated by actions this love that that god is talking about here that john is writing about is demonstrated by actions god is love so he sent his son that love that he had for us was not just a feeling it was not just an emotion it was not just an attribute of god but it caused him to take action to do something so as we consider how we relate to other, other Christians. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to have warm fuzzies for, for somebody that's sitting here. And say, well, you know, I'm glad you're around. I, you know, it's, I appreciate that. But this love that he's talking about takes action. Whether that action is just telling someone that. You know, I'm, I appreciate you. I'm thankful for you. Or it goes beyond that. And, and is, is deeper. 1 John 3, uh, verses 16 to 18. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother, brother in need, and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. This is where it gets hard because it is hard because love demands actions. These actions are costly. These actions demand self-sacrifice of us. So as we talk about this type of love that God expects us to have for other believers, it's the same type of love that he's already shown us how to do. It's the love that as we understand him more, as we understand our relationship with him more, becomes easier. It becomes more natural as we try to be like him. Now maybe at this point you're thinking, I have, a, I have an objection to that. You know, I've seen a lot of, of unbelievers that do things that seem very loving. And how can John make the statement here that people who don 't know God cannot love? Hey, what about the firefighter who runs into the burning burning building? Oh, I'm sure, maybe you know maybe he started fighting fires because of the adrenaline rush or something, but to put his life at risk is a demonstration of love, right? So how can we say that only Christians can have this love uh, why well, I, th- I think there's two two responses to that Um, certainly there are ways that unbelievers can demonstrate love uh, in the same sense that unbelievers can demonstrate goodness even though we live in a fallen world uh, apart from god god has given um common grace that that we can all um you know he the world is not as bad as it could as it could be he leaves things in the world to to you know affect one another for good and so in some ways people we are made in the image of god and there are aspects of that 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 can come through so there you know there are people that will sacrifice for others there are people that will will do good deeds for others even though they don't know the love of of god Uh, so i think that's you know that's one one aspect of of answering that that difficulty in our mind um but i think there's there's another important thing that john gets to uh here in verse 12 he kind of changes topic very abruptly he's talking about love he's talking about love he's talking about love no one has seen god at any time what's that all about okay what you know and then he goes back to love if we love one another god abides in us his love has been perfected in us but the beginning of verse twelve, there it's it's confusing, isn't it? I think what he's doing is he's saying, um, well, let's take a break. Um, skipping some of my notes here. Uh, this, you know, this transition here um, shows us that this is a love that manifests God to others. So point three there: this is a love that manifests God. To others. This statement at the beginning of verse twelve, God no one ever has seen is a literal translation. Nobody at any time has seen God. Now this is different than uh than in John 118, where he says, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, has declared him. Okay, that's in John 118. That's the idea of seeing as a, you know, as seen with the eyes, as a visual, um, you know, visual contact with, with God. Nobody has seen God at any time. He uses a different word here. He says no one has scrutinized. No one has, has carefully examined God at any point. Nobody at any time has had the opportunity to carefully examine God. Then... He goes back to the topic of love in verse 12. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. So how do we know God? How, how do we have that, that knowledge of God? It is because the love that God demands, us, uh, of, demands of us is a love that manifests him, that makes him apparent to others. It's a love that always points back to God. It is not that I, I go out and I shovel your driveway when it's, when it's snowing and then I take the credit for it. It's a love that always points back to God. Because the, the deepest display of love wants the most for someone else. And the most that someone else can have is a good understanding of God. Is that close relationship with him, so Christian love always points back to God. There are several other verses that that uh, show show some clear examples of this first uh, peter three eighteen Christ also suffered for us that he might bring us to God. The purpose of his suffering was to bring us to God. John 13:31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, "Now the Son of Man is glorified. the Son of Man is glorified in his crucifixion, and God is glorified in him." John 13:35: "By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So our love is not about us. Loving one another. Our love for one another is about pointing one another and the watching world to God. Philippians 2.11. Sorry, I'm going out of order here. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. That's the whole passage about Jesus Christ leaving heaven, coming to earth, taking the form of a servant, being crucified for us. Why? To the glory of God the Father. He wanted the world to know who his father was. That's why he died. That's why he died for us. Sure, he loves us, but he also wants us to know his father. Now, as we look at as we look at these verses, um, you know there are there are different ways that that these might affect each one of us. Um, for for all of us, this statement, the statement that John makes in verse eight or verse the end of verse seven, "Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, and he who does not love does not know God." It's a diagnostic for all of us. We can look at our lives and say, Do I see this type of love? Do I I experience this type of love for one another? Do I want to point other people back to God or do I not? And so that, you know, it's simple to understand, but that's a hard question for us as we look at our lives. This is also. Not just a diagnostic question, but it's something that we should strive for to to exemplify more and more as we grow in our faith. So some things to reflect on, some application here uh, as we wrap up. Number one, are my interactions with other believers marked by the same characteristics as God's relationship to me? That's a pretty high calling, but it is our calling. We are to exemplify God's love for us to those other believers. Now, certainly in scripture, you know, we're called to love our enemies. We're called to love the world. We're called to love, you know, everyone. But in this passage specifically, and in a lot of other, other passages, there is a very strong focus on loving other believers, other people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. The church should be unified around this love for one another. This love that, that thinks no evil, that, that thinks the best of one another, that, that looks out for each other's best, and that wants each other to know Jesus Christ uh, in, a, in a more real way. So first question, are my interactions with other believers marked by the same characteristics? As God's relationship to me. Secondly. How significant. Is my salvation to me. Right now. How often do I think about the sinfulness. From which I have been. Forgiven. So if we realize that in our lives. We don't have. This love. Or we only have a little of this love. That he's talking about. Like I said before. The, the approach is not to. To try harder. To to try to love more god's saying this love comes from knowing me start with that think about your salvation think about the truths that your new life is founded upon that you have a relationship with a holy god think about the the extent of our sin not that we had done some minor offenses toward god that we had told a little white lie and and based on a technicality that would keep us out of heaven that's not our situation at all i've i've heard the example used you know if you stand out in the street and you yell some some hateful things at a at a person you know random pedestrian walking by okay they might get a little annoyed but really you're not in too much trouble now, if you do that same thing as a police officer walks by, there's a greater chance that you're going to have some sort of repercussions of that, that crime. You do that as a, a government official walks by. And again, probably a, a greater degree that, that you, you might get into some trouble. Now, the president of the United States walks by, and you start yelling threats at him, threats on his life. You'll probably be taken out of there pretty quick. But at the same time, you know, you, you probably wouldn't be punished too much. You now you hop on a plane and you fly over and land, sneak across the border, go into the, the government square in Pyongyang, North Korea, and you yell those same threats against the dictator of North Korea. And what's going to happen? probably just disappear now we're talking about offenses against the god of the universe against a holy god who cannot look on sin and we've sinned that leaves us in a pretty bad spot it's not just a little offense against someone who who will overlook something that we've done we serve a holy god and we are His enemies. We were his enemies. So consider that. That that is the starting point. For your relationship with him. That he saved you as his enemy. There's a verse in Luke. Chapter 7. Wherefore I say unto thee. Her sins which are many. Are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven. The same loves little. Little. I don't think any of us would evaluate our lives, would evaluate where we've come from and say that we have only been forgiven a little. But at times we might act like that. So I would challenge you, step back, think about your salvation. Think about, about your sinfulness and your standing before God in light of that. And then the fact that he has taken that away, he has taken that on himself to save you a third point of application um as i mentioned love results in action so what can i do this week to demonstrate this love for another believer for each of us this will look different Uh, each of us have different giftings different abilities different relationships within the body but our love must result in actions so hopefully for each of us, this can be a, a confirmation as we evaluate our spiritual life, as well as, as an encouragement of something to aspire towards, a deeper love for God that would play out in a deeper love for one another.